Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host, Dungeon Master and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and we've got a great episode on tap for you guys today. I sat down to talk with a, uh, a guy who's been following me on Instagram for a little while, similar to the situation that we had with Joshua last week. Uh, but it turns out he's done a lot of graphic design work in the world of RPGs, especially when it comes to Savage Worlds and Suede in particular. Uh, his name is Carl Kiesler. He runs a lot of Savage Worlds convention games, and he and I just had a fantastic conversation about Savage Worlds and, you know, get, getting more and more into that particular rule set uh, the way that I am. And it turns out that Carl Kiesler may in fact be my id made manifest in another person. Uh, we get into that a little bit as well. Uh, it, it's great to just sit down and, and talk with someone who has a lot of similar interests to yourself, as I've noticed. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you, you start having the conversation and suddenly things just start clicking into place. You're like, oh, you're into that. Oh, you're into that too. You're into that as well. It, it reminds me there was one time back when I was still an Uber driver. Uh, those of you who don't know me, I, I used to drive an Uber for about a year and a half uh, before I moved out to Nashville. And I had this like hour and a half long drive with a guy and initially we just kind of had casual conversation back and forth but as the ride kept going we started talking and it turned out that we were both super into comic books so we talked a ton about comic books and comic book movies and stuff like that and it was one of the uh, best conversations I've ever had right up there with uh, this conversation that I had with Carl which I think you guys will enjoy especially just a little teaser, especially for those of you out there who love Sin City. We had a great conversation about Sin City. I'm not going to spoil it up front because it's 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 just an amazing moment. But yeah, before we get into that real quick, I uh, just want to remind everyone to follow me on social media. That is at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter is where I do updates on the show. Occasionally I do follow Fridays, just shouting out uh, my, my friends and, and supporters of the show, you know, who've been good to me over the years. Instagram is where you can see a lot of my mini painting. Uh, in fact, it's about 90% many painting these days. I make up that number off the top of my head. You hear me throw out another number in this episode. I'm just just putting that out there for you guys. That number's completely made up. I don't actually know the percentage of uh, my content on Instagram. Sorry. And then for all things related to the podcast, you can of course visit rollinbonespodcast.com. I would also love it if you guys would subscribe and leave ratings and reviews on the podcatchers of your choice, uh, be it 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or even if you just listen on the website, wherever you listen to the podcast, just leave a rating, leave a review, and let people know that this is you know, your favorite RPG show, or at least one of your favorites, if it's not your favorite. I know I've got some steep competition out there. Anyways, that's uh, that's pretty much all I wanted to do uh, for, for this episode. This is kind of a long interview. Uh, we go a little over an hour just with the interview, so I don't want to do another epic rant like I did last week. Uh, but one thing I do want to say, speaking of uh, having Joshua Cade on the show, uh, by the way, uh, his Kickstarter is still up and running. Uh, the link is still in the uh, the show notes for last week. So if you're interested in jumping on that, uh, it's got a few days left. So go ahead, uh, back at whatever tier, and let's get some of those stretch goals unlocked. But Joshua sent me some of the uh, the dungeon tape that, that we talked about. I've got it here. I uh, haven't used it yet. I'll actually be using it some this evening and afternoon as I'm preparing for kind of a big showdown in my Saturday game. Uh, but I do have the product here in front of me. He sent me two rolls of tape. One appears to be cave-like dungeon structures, and the other one is like uh, brick and stone walls. And then I've got a couple of different uh, doorway stickers that he sent. But all in all, it's a it's a pretty cool package. Uh, comes in a uh, a nice little uh, cardboard box, and I'll be doing a full review of this next week after I get the chance to actually play with the stuff on the mat. Uh, his logo, I didn't actually talk with him about this, but his logo looks like the state of Tennessee being rolled out into a roll of paper. I know it's a it's a wall with a with a tape roll coming behind it, but the way that it's shaped, it looks like Tennessee, which of course, being a proud resident of the volunteer state, I am okay with. Uh, the other thing I want to say, and this is just a minor nitpick. And I actually think it's gone away now that I've had it open and out in the air for a little bit. But when I first opened up the tape, uh, like when I pulled the plastic off of it, it smelled weird. And I'm sure that's just like a byproduct of the the process that has to go through to be printed. And like I said, now now that it's been open for about a day now, uh, the smell has completely gone away. But just so you know, when you get it and open it up, there is going to be a weird smell, probably a byproduct of the printing. And it goes away after a day, but just so you you're aware. And Josh, that's not a knock against your product. It's just something I wanted to point out. I have this weird habit of smelling things when I first get them. You can ask my family, you can ask my wife, I smell things a lot, which is weird because I don't have a great sense of smell. I, I've actually had uh, not like deviated septum type stuff, but I, I've had some sinus issues in the past. And as a result, I, I really don't have a great sense of smell. So I don't know why I smell things, but I do. I do it all the time. A lot of times I regret it. But in the off chance that you're just like me and you have to smell things when you first get them. Just just be aware that that is you'll smell some kind of ink or or printer smell when you first open the dungeon tape. Uh, but that's that's all I wanted to say. Really, kind of just the first bites with the eye, or in my case, the nose, because I'm a weirdo. But yeah, just wanted to get that out there before I do a full review in the opening to next week's episode. And I actually just remember there's one more thing I want to do before we cut over to Carl. I've been toying with the idea of doing video for this podcast for a long time. And this idea has kind of evolved into me wanting to actually kind of change the format up a little bit. And instead of doing a recorded show, 
I'm thinking about doing a live show that airs on YouTube. I'd probably stick with my Monday nights at 8 central time slot. I'd have to play around with that a little bit, but in order to kind of test out some of the stuff that I am going to be doing, I'm thinking about doing some test streams where, you know, just it would be me, uh, preparing for my campaigns, uh, probably going over any RPG products that I bought recently, doing some, you know, product reviews, that kind of stuff, and just kind of, just kind of messing around with, with anyone who decides to, to watch live, and I'm thinking about doing one of those this coming week. I'll be posting a poll on Twitter after I post my episode here, so again, follow me at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg to, uh, to participate in this poll, but I, I want to see, you know, if you guys would actually be interested in this becoming a live show because I noticed a lot of people kind of like that live feeling and I want to expand the audience and you know bring people in I've got friends who do live streams uh you know my, my good friend and uh player in my Saturday game Namira she is a uh, a video game streamer and I've seen a lot of what she does and she seems to do pretty well with her audience seems to like it a lot uh so I'm thinking about changing this over into a live stream with a recorded option of available a day later. So just let me know what you guys think about that. Like I said, I'll be posting a poll on Twitter and uh, yeah, just, just let me know your opinion on there or you can email me at rollinbones.withryan at gmail.com. And yeah, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into this interview with Carl Kiesler. It's a ton of fun. Uh, you know, Carl was a great dude. I'm glad that I got to talk to him. I'm glad that I got to meet him and uh, I will see you on the other side. All right, Boneheads, we are joined tonight by a guy who has made his name in uh, game design and graphic design and also in uh, running games for conventions. You may have played in one of his games in your travels across the United States and or high seas, as I just recently found out. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Rollin' Bones, Mr. Carl Kiesler. Thanks, Ryan. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me, man. No problem at all. It's it's really kind of uh, interesting how this interview came together. If I remember correctly, you've been following me on Instagram for quite some time now. Yeah, I think uh, I think I mainly saw you. Uh, maybe you're doing something with minis or D and D or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm just following all kinds of people on there, just getting ideas for my own minis and stuff like that, games. And I think that's how originally. Uh, started following you it's been a while so i don't i don't quite remember but that seems about right my my instagram page is about uh 85 percent minis <laughs> and uh 25 split between or actually not 25 percent. that's not math that's not how math works 15 split between the podcast and like actual real life stuff right right <laughs> So it was interesting to, you know, I saw that you followed me. A couple people follow me because of the the miniature stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm absolutely flattered by because I am okay and at my best. So (laughs) same here. I'm, I'm table ready and that's about good enough for me. I'm not going to win any contests, but, uh, if it looks good on the table, I'm good with it. I was going through my, my copy of, uh, suede to do my review of suede and I see your name in there and I'm like, why does that name look familiar? And I go to my Instagram and I'm like, Oh, that's him. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's bring him on the show. 
Yeah, it was uh, quite an honor to work on this game that I've come to love. Um, yeah, it was great. It was great meeting Shane and uh, him asking me to come on board and help out with the graphic design. So, good guy. Absolutely. We we are big fans of, of Shane here on the show, and uh, hopefully once all of this uh, pandemic stuff blows over and that uh, that Weird West Kickstarter yeah. uh, gets out there, we'll be able to bring Shane back on. Yeah. I'm actually working on some of the graphic arts on that, so the graphic design. Nice. <laughs> so nice. I've been seeing some of the behind the scenes a little bit, but not much. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm strictly freelance based, so... Uh, uh, I can't wait to see what you what we've what what I created some stuff and see what they did with it and yeah it's gonna be cool it's gonna be a really good Kickstarter. Well, Carl, we are gonna start this interview the same way we start every single interview. I like to ask everyone all these questions, so let's start off at the very beginning. How did you get into RPGs? Oh, uh, that was back in the early '80s. I was at um, I lived in Central Florida. Um, and my grandmother, my aunt had a house in North Carolina and we would go, I would go there for the summer and just hang out with them and they would take us up there, me and my brother. And, um, I, one summer, a cousin of mine came and visited and he had a box set of D and D and I had no idea what that was in central Florida. That stuff didn't exist. We had no idea what was going on there. And I was hooked ever since that right after that summer of playing uh, in that box set, I got my own box set for Christmas. Um, and that was back where you had to color in the numbers on your dice with the Quran. It comes with a Quran and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, way back then, that's when it started. I think it was like 82 or 83, something like that. So gotcha. So was this the uh, the original box set for uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons or? It was uh, like a basic set. It was gotcha. the purple color cover with mold, the Moldvay edition. Um, yeah, it was that set. Uh, I eventually got the red box set after a while, and I realized it was kind of the same thing. But but yeah, I got that, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Gotcha. Now, I think I know the answer to this question <laughs> as we've uh, been discussing this, but of all the game systems you've played, what would you say your favorite game is? Well, it has to be Savage Worlds. I'm just uh, a Savage Worlds fan. Um, ever since it came out, I discovered it, and it's been Savage Worlds for me ever since. Uh, just love it. Um, it's different. It's action-packed, fast-paced. Uh, you can do what you want with it. It's it's a great system. I really love it. I've had a lot of people on the show recently that have been kind of advocating for the, uh, the, the OSR thing and, you mm-hmm. know, very rules light gaming, very broad, open to interpretation, which yeah. is really cool and really fun for certain games. But I gotta say, in my review of Suede, there's something just kind of super cool about the fact that as you're flipping through the book, oh, there's rules for this. Oh, and there's rules for this too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's rules for everything in there. And but what's cool about it is if you don't have to use all of them, you can just pick and choose what you want to. Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's uh, it's, but the but they do have a lot of things in there. It can get crunchy, mm-hmm. but uh, but then it's a little light on the on the crunch a little bit here and there, you know. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, and that and it's like you said, it's very fast pace. It's yeah. A lot of times when people think of uh, crunchy games, they think of mostly Pathfinder and uh, right. and three and three point five and four e, where turns will just take forever because people have to look through their 
character booklets <laughs> that they've put together, but <laughs> yeah, figure out what they want to do, how many yep. spells they have and what I can do this. No, I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So, so going back to those, uh, those D and D days, do you remember your, uh, your first character? I've thought about this and I, here's my problem. I, I only really played that one time and I don't remember the character, but then after that, I was pretty much the game master, the dungeon master with all my friends. Nobody wanted to pick up that mantle. And I kind of, I kind of liked it. I really liked, uh, telling the story and, uh, what was that module? Uh, searching the unknown or, uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool. I mean, uh, Palace of the Silver Princess, I remember that module. But I really, really loved running games. So I don't remember my first one, but I do remember a memorable one, if that's cool. Um, Go for it. His name's Rat Tick, and he was a dwarven barbarian fighter. This was in (laughs) third edition days when third edition came out. He was this dwarven barbarian fighter uh, that eventually became this... uh, I think he could transform into a bear, like a berserker type thing, like a dire bear or something like that. It was it was crazy. I love that character. It was really good, memorable. We played uh, we played third edition for a lot back then when it came out. It was really the really the cool thing to do. And uh, but yeah, that was a great character. He just uh, could say anything, and he was gruff and rough and tumble, and he was a badass. So. <laughs> Yeah, I found that a lot of uh, Forever GMs, myself included, <laughs> fall into one of two categories when they get to play. Yeah, Either they have come up, they, they've spent so much time creating characters that they never get to play that they've come up with some of the craziest, most insane nonsense you could ever <laughs> throw at a dungeon master. Or, and this is where kind of I find myself, they tend to play characters kind of within one central little box or spectrum yeah yeah that's me i like to play the fighters the rough guys the mm-hmm. that's me i i will always probably pretty much pick that every once in a while i'll try to get out of that box but they start ending up being that dude you know mm-hmm. yeah i've i've big time found myself i mean i described my first character as era gorby one kenobi because personality <laughs> wise and age wise that's kind of where he ended up but i I find myself gravitating towards the uh, the grizzled old man fighter type character. Oh, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so for a lot of us who are kind of forever GMs, there's a lot of stuff that we kind of lean on as part of our bag of tricks. And some of those can end up being NPCs that travel from game to game. So Carl, do you have any forever NPCs? I actually have one that I kind of put in there every once in a while I'll throw in. Um, she often plays, she often shows up in a trailer park shark attack game, which is a Savage Worlds game I created. And uh, I've run that multiple times at many different cons. Um, but she also shows up in other games as Miss Kendrick. It's this old lady. She's bad mouthing you, but you still got to kind of save her sometimes. And she's always just harassing the players, the characters, and just saying all the nastiest stuff. But yet, you got to help her. She's this old lady that's usually in a tight jam and stuff like that. But yeah, I always throw in Miss Kendrick sometimes, <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> See, I, I have always viewed the forever NPC as either your players need a bailout or your players need to be punished. But that is a. <laughs> 
that's a third option for the forever yeah. NPC to slightly irritate your players. Yes. <laughs> slightly irritate them and get them kind of moving, you know, get them mm-hmm. kind of going sometimes, you know. <laughs> In fact, I think I think Luke Hart from the DM layer, his his Gary the intern NPC <laughs> uh might might fall into that category of slightly irritate your players. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I don't know if you uh, consume his content, but he has this uh, character that showed up in multiple games who is a kobold who will work for the bad guy strictly for, like, the the benefits or the treasure. Basically, he's strictly mercenary, and oftentimes he ends up uh, becoming an underling of the players. Oh, that's great. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. (laughs) So... When it comes time to uh, to play a character or even just to, to GM, we all kind of develop our own styles to do both. How would you describe your GMing style and your play style? Okay, my my GMing style, I like to I like to kind of um, what I call like bring the party to everybody. I kind of that's especially my convention games. Um, I always stand up. I never sit down. I try to bring the action. I try to bring great dialogue, great descriptions. I want to engage every player at that table. I want to point at them, which I do. I'll point at them and say, what, what, are you, what is your character doing? If they don't answer, all right, so what are you doing? I point to another player. I just want to keep things going. I want to have an exciting time, a really fun time. Uh, I've been in games where it's not like that, and I want the opposite of it. I want everybody to walk away saying, man, that was a really good time. Thank you so much. Thanks for all the prep. Thanks for all the terrain, the minis, the great attitude you have. So I really want just want to bring a party to everybody. So I'm just – I'm enthused. I'm excited, and I want the player to be excited to be there. So um, player-wise, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I – because normally I'm a quiet guy, except when I'm running games or at a con. I, I want to bring the, the fun. But when I'm playing, most of the time I sit in the back and I really don't react. I just kind of watch what everybody else is doing and I don't want to interrupt. And I just kind of – every once in a while I chime in with something. Um, but yeah, as a player, I'm not that outgoing and I just kind of sit back. But I'm still having a good time because I like to watch everybody – you know, do your thing and stuff. And when it's my turn, I'll jump in and say something. But uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very uh, low key as a player, but opposite as a GM. <laughs> when we play this game, a lot of us who, you know, dedicate a lot of time to it, we have a lot of very good memories that are wrapped up in time sitting around the table. So Carl, what's your fondest RPG memory? Oh, uh, wow. There's been so many, um, so many. But I will get to, I mean, every convention game, there are memories. I, I mean, they're just, because I run a lot and uh, of con games, and it's just so many. Um, I would say a couple years ago at a Genghis Khan, which is out in Denver, Colorado, uh, Shane, Henley's was, Shane Hensley was a guest there. And I had met him before, but I have never run a game for him. So I actually ran a Savage Worlds game for him, which was my Trailer Park Shark Attack. And... He's this huge fan of sharks, which I knew about, and he wanted to get into the game, and he did. And uh, we had the best time. The guy was great. He was awesome. Um, I brought a smile to his face. He told me it was like, this is what I've waited for my whole entire life kind of thing. I was like, man, that feels great, man. It was a a really great time. 
because uh, he brought it to the table, you know, he brought the good times and everybody else around that table. It was a great group. Everybody got along, but that session was just like magical. You know, it was like lightning in a bottle, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was a good time. So, and they killed all the sharks. So <laughs> I got to say that cause Shane always says that to me, <laughs> mm-hmm. but did you kill all the sharks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> that, that reminds me of, uh, when, when I actually had the pleasure of playing with Shane. Um, uh, so we were playing Deadlands nice. and he was running the demon pigs of Cotches County. Nice. But at the next table over, I think it was Clint Black was running a Sharknado session of Deadlands. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've seen his. Uh, we've he, we've talked about it a few times. When Trailer Park Shark Attack came out, he was like, "Oh, you did it! You came out with this before I did." I'm like, "Yeah, I did." Sorry, Clint. <laughs> But it was kind of in the zeitgeist of the Sharknado's yeah. height and everything. And I'm a big fan of those movies um, way before I even met these guys. I mean, it's just like, love all those crazy shark movies. And I live in Florida, so there's sharks, yeah. you know. Because <laughs> I, was, I was very engrossed with, with Shane's game. But at one point, I just kind of looked around, as I have a tendency to do from time to time. Yeah. And I turned, and Clint's just got this tornado mini with sharks <laughs> in it. And I'm just like, what the hell's going on over there? <laughs> You can't help but look at that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a buddy that actually did a Sharknado Mini, but he put it on this pedestal that spun. So he flipped the switch and the thing, the whole thing started spinning. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I don't have a Sharknado, but I do have this guy. Oh, so. yes. I have that many. He's on my desk. Been waiting to paint him. That guy's awesome. <laughs> you know, with, with running a lot of convention games as you do, there's... Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a big factor that you have to take into account, and that's the unknown quantity that is your players who sit down at your table. Right. Sometimes these players are great. They're there to have fun, all that good stuff. Yeah. Sometimes maybe yeah. they're not the best. Maybe they're not the best behaved. Yeah. And the worst of these players, we typically reserve the term of that guy for. So, Carl, <laughs> if there's one that you're comfortable telling on the show, what is your best or worst that guy story? Well, there was one. Uh, it wasn't a game I was running. It was a game I was playing in many years ago at, at a Gen Con. And my buddy and I signed up for this game. I, I totally forget the game because it was so – we didn't even get to play, to be honest with you. We sat there. So we showed up at this guy's table. He was a nice dude. And come to find out, uh, there were six players, and the other four players were all in his group. I'm like, okay, they all know this guy, and they're talking to him, and they're having a good time. Okay, so time comes up, and we're su- we're supposed to be playing, you know, mm-hmm. we're supposed to. We have the character sheets, and they're telling stories for like an hour, and we're all just like kind of like laughing, and okay, are we gonna start this game? Like an hour and fifteen minutes goes by, an hour and a half, and they're just they're just BSing, like. Mm-hmm. This is well into my time here at Gen Con that I'm spending money to be here. And are, are you kidding me? What's going on? And uh, it, it the name the game never started. It never got off the bat. I mean, we spent an hour and a half, and then uh, I think an hour and forty five minutes went by. And my buddy and I's, uh, hey, we need to use the bathroom. So we went and used the bathroom. We're talking. We're like, man, this is terrible. What is going on? I've never experienced this before. They're just they're just having a good time talking to each other, like kind of ignoring us. So I go back to the table and I'm like, look, guy, I'm sorry, but this isn't for me. I've got to, I've got to leave. Okay. I wish you luck. And my buddy was like, 
my buddy was a little shy. I think he made something up with this. Uh, I have to, like, I got I to gotta text here. I got to call. I've got to go. And I, I just told him flat out, man. I said, man, thank you, but I got to leave. So I, I left. It was the worst time I ever had at a game. It was before I was running games, um, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And uh, it was an experience like that that wanted me to run convention games mm-hmm. that I want everybody there to have a good time. And if he was paying attention, he could clearly see me and my buddy was not having a good time. But that that's that guy. I mean, don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you have if you got a table yeah. to run a game at Gen Con. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you you don't know who's gonna sit down at your table at Gen Con. Exactly. You know what if, if Joe Manganello sits down at your table and you're being a <laughs> chucklehead, I, yeah. <laughs> that's only going to look bad for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't I don't understand that. I don't understand like how his players got his his groups got, his friends got in. I I don't understand the whole thing. It was just a weird experience. I mean, it was strange. Uh, but, you know, it happened. <laughs> yeah, the the one time I've gotten to run a convention game, I told my players, you know, if you guys do come to the convention, I don't want all of you guys to be at my table at the same right. time. Kind of if you if you want to play in my game, I get it. You know, I'd lo- I'd love to have you at the table, but spread mm-hmm. it out a little bit so I don't have all of you and then a couple strangers. For sure, yeah. I've had I've went to conventions with my friends and and luckily they're really cool. They let me play test all my convention games here at home mm-hmm. with them. So they've played through it, so they're not going to sit at the table. So I'm lucky in that stance that they they let me try these things out and uh, you know test them out on them first. So but, yeah, I totally I totally get it, man. Yeah. All right. Well, Carl, we've got our last introductory question here. Okay. This one has stymied a few people. <laughs> the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. So, Carl, if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? Well, this is easy for me being a graphic designer and an artist. I would want some of my art, some of my logos, some of my – even a game cover would be awesome on a T-shirt. I mean I could do it on Redbubble, but it would be cool um, to have something like that I produced on a T-shirt, like uh, like one of the logos or something. I would love that. That would be pretty cool. But gotcha. yeah, Yeah. Some of my art. All right. Well – now that we have those introductory questions out of the way, let's uh, take a look at some of the stuff that you've done. And I guess first and foremost, I, I just have to ask you, when it comes to a career in graphic design, was this something you set out to do or was this something that fell in your lap? Well, um, growing up as a kid in the 80s, I have always – was a draw. I always drew stuff. Um, I remember way back in the day in kindergarten – when I was living in Miami, we had to move up to Central Florida in the middle of the year. The teacher put me in front of the class and says, all right, you're going to draw everybody and they're going to draw you. And because uh, she knew that I was really detail oriented and I love to draw. So I've been drawing my whole entire life, uh, doing arts and crafts and things like that. Um, just on my own, not not as school projects, but just just doing stuff on my own. I went. So after that, <clears throat> I went to art school. So I went to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale and uh, didn't really know what I was going to do when I came out of art school. I, I knew I took, a, I took a commercial art degree. I got a commercial art degree, visual communications. No idea what I was going to do. I mean, uh, so this was a day and age when computers were just kind of coming out. We still had to, in art school, I had to learn how to cut 
ruby lift and amber lift uh, with exacto blades so they can make color prints of it at the printer this is before computers so i had to learn that stuff so it kind of i got a job down in south florida um making ads for advertising agency and my love for gaming uh when third edition came out i hooked up with some other people uh, at work um we got a group together um, some local friends too and i started making character sheets and things like that for like our home games you know that's kind of how it really started i started doing stuff for our home games i never really integrated integrated the two until then um so yeah that's kind of how it started uh and uh Back in the day when um, D20 Modern came out, if you remember that old old book, um, mm-hmm. I did some character sheets for a Western game we were going to play, and it, I put them up on a Yahoo group, a Yahoo forum, and the guy that did the, the game was like, hey, D20 Modern's coming out, uh, we're thinking about starting a new company and making... Uh, a whole book based on the the OGL from the D20 monitor. Would you in, be interested in laying out? I'm like, sure. I've never done anything that before in my life. So yeah, sure. So uh, I hooked up with these guys and we started our own company and it's still going strong today. Uh, so that's kind of how it started was Doghouse Rules um, is our company. And we started uh, Sidewinder Recoil is the name of the, the old game. And it's, it was the OGL D20 modern. So Ever since then, I've been doing art um, for games. Been doing stuff for my own, my home group, and then it integrated integrated into the convention games where I make cool character sheets and things like that. So, yeah. That's a Sidewinder Recoil is a fantastic name for a Western <laughs> game. Was that you or was that uh, one of your buddies that came up with that? That was one of the buddies because the original game was the original OGL, which was 3.0, and they used those rules, and it was called Sidewinder. So when the D20 Modern came out, they're like, "Let's we have to change it a little bit, so let's call it Recoiled. So they came up with Sidewinder Recoiled. Yeah, I'm not a great writer. We have, I, have, <laughs> I have buddies that do that. I'm not a great writer. He helped me edit Trailer Park Shark Attack tremendously. Uh, shout out to Chris Warner out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's my Absolutely. doghouse buddy. <laughs> but yeah, they came up with that. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there are... A lot of great names in in Western RPGs out there. Deadlands obviously yeah. is a, a fantastic name. Aces and Eights also <laughs> a fantastic name. Yeah. So if you want that if you want that book to stand out to someone, you've got to have a, a good name, and that that's <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, we've got some good ones uh, for Doghouse. We've got adventures that we've made, and they're called Buckshots. Uh, and those are each one is each one is an adventure in itself. Uh, so that's that's a pretty cool one. We're working on one now called Savage Savage Partners, and it's uh, basically just a a bunch of NPCs, old West NPCs, and stuff like that for Savage Worlds. Nice. So now this is something that came up uh, back when I had Venger Satanis on the show, okay? And you know we talked a little bit about design decisions and you know what what all goes into making making the layout of an RPG book work. Where do you find the the balance is between readability and style? Where where does an RPG book turn into a textbook and where does it yeah. become style over actual readability for you? Well, the first thing is is readability for me, especially with a lot of the clients I work with, they they want to it has to be it has to be legible. 
Um, I've come up myself with some crazy designs, but I've put them to the back door because I put them, you know, put them away because you, you just need that legibility, that readability. I like to tinker a lot of my stuff. If you look at a lot of my graphic design and stuff like that, um, a lot of the stuff is going on the borders and things like that, or maybe font choices. If you look in the, uh, suede, the Savage Worlds adventure edition, um, that went through many iterations of until you, the fin the finished product. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough fine line. It, it, Overall, it ha- it is a rule book, and it will be at your table, and and uh, you have to be able to just flip it open and know where you're going, and know where these page numbers are, and things like that. That's the number one key. Whatever else you do, it has to somehow bring that out. Like on, um, if I remember right, on the, uh, the the adventure edition, the chapter headers and the page numbers are on these red like red tape and stuff like that. Originally, it wasn't like that. Um, I just I forget what was there. I think it was just the page number and stuff. And it, we kind of put it through. Shane put it through his playtesters and stuff like that, and the people they trust. And and that was one of the issues that it, it needs to really pop. So I came up with the idea of the tape and stuff like that to make it look like you know like it's a like it's a journal and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it first and foremost it has to pop, and then think about what you can do with the fonts, what the, what you can do with the borders and stuff like that. But first and foremost, this is a textbook kind of, you know, it is, it is a rule book. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that, that came up with, uh, with me and Venger because, and he, he told the story on the show. He had spent most of his art budget on a few very, very nice pieces. Right. And realized at the very end that he did not have enough art. And so he had to go find, uh, stock photos. Oh, gotcha. Which a lot of them ended up kind of working with what he did. And, right. uh, you know, it, it all kind of worked out. But there was one that really stuck out to me. Yeah. It was this big shot of a desert scape. Yeah. But it was a real world desert scape and it was an actual photo. Yeah. And so in the con, like with that just big desert photo and then text underneath it. Uh, just black text on on a white background. It looked like a Prentice Hall science book. <laughs> <laughs> and he he said, as soon as I I brought that up in my review of Chalt, the the book that he had sent to me mm-hmm. to review, and he said, as soon as you said that, I knew exactly what you were talking about, <laughs> and I immediately understood where you were coming from. <laughs> yeah, uh, we. If he laid it out, he knows exactly. I, I get that feeling when people say, oh, you remember? But there's this one thing. I'm like, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's something like that, I probably would have, depending on what he needed or maybe he needed something to push text over to the next page or something like that, you might you might be better off just leaving that out and filling it up with something else, you know, that matches uh, the look and the aesthetic of your book, you know? Mm-hmm. So. But it sounded like it uh, It was okay, right? It worked yeah. out kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the only real glaring issue I had with uh, the book that he did. Yeah. Was just that, that one image that <laughs> made me have flashbacks to middle school. <laughs> so I, I really do, I mean, you mentioned the suede book. I really do have to give you props for that, that design that you did there. Thanks. Um, one, because it kind of, it evokes, like you said, a journal 
It also right. kind of gave me, you know, like spy dossier vibes mm-hmm. as I was reading through it. And it really did kind of evoke in a way a, a timelessness that something like Savage Worlds has to have being a completely setting agnostic uh rule set so I, right. I do have to give you props for that that was oh, a, thanks, an, thanks. kind of an excellent uh, decision there thanks well they i can't take full credit for it. i mean i did do the mm-hmm. the look of it but it went through a committee too they gotcha. it was shane's idea i to be honest with you when when i started this it was many years ago actually when they were when he approached me um to do a new look for their new savage worlds book and they were going to call it at the time savage worlds black um I don't know if it was because Clint Black or and Jody Black. I, I don't know if that was the reason. I, they were just going to call it Savage World Black. And so I had done a layout for them. Um, it was very – they wanted it like very classy, very high class, like uh, gold. like kind of matched their Savage Worlds logo where it's kind of gold and blackish. They wanted to bring that into the book. So I did this really classy looking uh, sharp cornered – black uh borders with this gold chrome you know this gold shininess and Mm -hmm. it was really like classy yep and then they years later he came back to me and says hey we're still gonna do that but we're we've got a different direction and that was the direction they wanted was kind of like a journal uh that he came to me with and this is what i came up with uh but then again it went through a, a few iterations and stuff like that but it's pretty much what what we started with you know mm-hmm. um, so yeah that that would have been an interesting choice <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right with the black and gold and stuff yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think this is much better I, mm-hmm. I really like this one better so. yeah and i mean like no disrespect to to anyone at pinnacle they make great products but when i think about pinnacle entertainment group i'm not thinking you know black tie <laughs> violins playing anything like savage worlds black <laughs> yeah this this edition is much it's a much more fun and um it, i really love the way it came out and to be honest i do what i do is i do like what they call trade dress i'll do the trade dress for it and they give it to their layout guy and he does the complete book, which Thomas Shook, he did amazing. The guy's an InDesign guru. I learned some stuff from him uh, <laughs> with working with him with this. Um, so I did like a – like probably like I think it was 8 to 12 spreads of different Greek – you know, just faked in type with borders and things like that. And here's a look for a sidebar. Here's a look for a call out, you know, stuff like that. Here's a, here's a look you can do for a picture. And they gave that to their guy and basically took what I did and just put it out through the whole book, you know, so. Transitioning from graphic design Mm -hmm. to uh, one of the other things that you're well known for, convention games. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I have only had the pleasure of running a convention game once. It was a fantastic experience and I'd love to do it again. Yeah. In your opinion, Mm -hmm. what are the best qualities of a convention game? Best qualities. Um, you have to be prepared. Okay, you gotta have a story. And usually, convention games, at least the ones I run, are about four hours. I've never really run anything longer than that or shorter. I, I ran one shorter than that, hmm. but nothing longer than that because people want. They're at a convention. They they don't sitting there for four hours. It's kind of tough, you know. And people want to go do see do other things, you know. They don't want to sit there the whole time, you know. Um, so about four hours, but be prepared. That's a that's a great thing. And not necessarily being prepared with like 
the cool props and minis and stuff like that. You can run theater mine, whatever, but just be prepared. Like have sh- character sheets, at least, you know, done. I I've heard stories. I've never experienced this, but I've heard stories where we're making our sh- characters up and it's, it's a four hour game. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> That's like half the time probably, or depending mm-hmm. on the system, you know, but yeah, just, just be prepared. Um, be outgoing, talk to people, look them in the eye, say, Hey, thanks for coming. You know, invite them in, be, be warm and welcoming. And, uh, and you'll have a great time. Um, they're there to have a good time and you're there to kind of supply the party supplies, you know, you know, you're there to bring the party to them. So, uh, yeah, just be prepared and have a great time at it. You know? Now, you mentioned earlier that every time you run a convention game, you stand up. Aside from just the obvious of being able to see the entire table while you're standing, mm-hmm. why why do you uh, make that choice? I find it more energetic. Um, it shows that it shows the players that I'm there for you and I'm looking right at you and and let's go, let's have fun, let's let's get this thing going and. Um, I'm, if I sit down, I kind of tend to talk because I use a screen, not because I'm trying to hide things from my players. Because I roll, I roll all my dice rolls out in the open. I use the screen for like my notes, my minis, and stuff like that, um, props that I might have that I might pull out. Uh, and there's some good charts back there. Uh, but uh, I tend to, I know if I kind of sit behind that screen, I'm kind of talking at the screen, and my voice isn't being carried, and it's kind of like. Uh, it's kind of like brings like a slow, like a, a calmness over the table, you know, but if I'm standing and I'm pointing at people and I'm talking, I'm doing funny voices or whatever, and I'm moving around, that's energy and the people, the players kind of draw off of that, you know, they're not going to sit there and just, you know, have their arms crossed and fall asleep, you know, um, the energy they'll, they'll pick up on that. Gotcha. Now, this may be a completely random question, but mm-hmm. I see this picture of you on uh, <laughs> Pentacle's website, okay. and I see that you have a Sin City GM screen. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sin City <laughs> is my, like, 1A, 1B favorite movie. So how does one acquire a Sin City GM screen? <laughs> I made that. <laughs> so Okay. Yeah, so they have, they sell this, uh, the GM screen where you can put the inserts in. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was I made those and that was a Sin City game. I ran Savage Worlds, of course, mm-hmm. uh, at Genghis Khan, not this year, but two years ago, actually. Um, and those were legendary Savage Worlds characters. Mm-hmm. I made them all the way up to legendary Marv had could take like five wounds or something like that. I think at one game he got shot with a rocket launcher and lived and just walked through it. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. just like the comic, you know? But I used strictly just Savage Worlds, no superheroes companion. It was an awesome game. I painted all my minis up black and uh, like a gray gray tones, so all the minis were gray and white and kind of like kind of like that with splashes of blood here and there. And mm-hmm. um, I made the character sheets that um, comic book size, and so when you opened it up, the the stats and stuff were when like comic book bubbles and things like that, and I used some of the Frank Miller art that I got from the internet. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really done it up with that. That was a lot of, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Now was it, was this like uh <clears throat> multiple, like the, the big kind of famous Sin City characters like oh, Marv yeah. Hardigan, Nancy all at the table or. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was gotcha. I, just the standard um, 
you know, who is it? Marv Hardigan, uh, Nancy, uh, Gail was in there. Um, Dwight. Dwight, yes, Dwight was there, and um, the the girl with the six shooters—I forget her name—was that Nancy? Yeah, that was Nancy. I had six yep. characters. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun, mm-hmm. especially with Swade. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of—I—I I don't know that I could recapture this magic, <laughs> but I kind of want you to send me like the the stuff that you did for that game, so for I sure. can try to recreate it <laughs> at my table. Yeah, I could definitely send you the character sheets and uh, some of my printouts and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely can, man. See if you can run it, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And where, where did you get, uh, minis for that? Did you like hero forge those or, uh, were you able to find good, like uh, facsimiles? Um, what I do is, uh, there is a company that sells like a Marv mini. I forget what, I think it's called Harby, <laughs> you know, to get away from, I think, <laughs> yep. I think it's called hassle free is the miniature company. Gotcha. Um, they sell like a perfect Marv mini. It's called Harby. Uh, but other ones, the other ones, what I do is I take hero clicks and I cut off the bases of them and I rebase them and I paint them. So I'll paint these guys up however I want to. Um, and they came out great. So a lot of them were rebased hero clicks. Some were Reaper miniatures, the Bones lines. They have some mo- good modern and stuff like that. But a lot of them were rebased hero clicks. I really love doing that. Uh, and uh, but yeah, that's everything was it was a cool it was a cool setup. You know, it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Man. I've got a shit ton of hero clicks that I'm not doing anything with. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Just cut off those bases and you glue them on like a little inch base. You're golden, you know? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> Learn new things every day. I love it. There you go. <laughs> gotcha. So, um, again, just, just kind of going off what I'm seeing here, uh, this this is a an announcement for the uh, the 2020 Savage Cruise, which oh. I take it happened back in, in January. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Big what, in January. Was this the first Savage Cruise or, or like how, how did this come about? Yeah, it was the first Savage Cruise put on by the Rocky Mountain Savages. There's two guys that run that, um, Chris Landau and Chris Fox. Great guys. Um but yeah, I went out to uh, Tacticon. They invited me out to Tacticon years ago, I think 2016, 15, something like that. And but I had met Chris Fox a long time ago. Um so I ran some games out there at Tacticon for him and it had a great time and I I've been back at Genghis Khan a couple times and uh, we're always keeping in touch. I'm doing work for them. They've got some settings that might be coming out. Um so I did some freelance work for them and they came up with this idea of a savage cruise there have been board game crews uh but that's basically what this was it was about a hundred of us uh we all met in uh new orleans um a couple of them met uh started a couple days before we were supposed to leave so they were we were right there on bourbon street down at one of the historic hotels um but i got there the day before Partied on Bourbon Street with these guys. There was Shane and everybody. Uh, the Blacks were there. Clint and Jody were there. Um, uh, Cheyenne Wright, if you know him from um, some of the past work of these, some of the work he's done for Savage World is great art direction and art, artist himself. But yeah, we had a great time. It was the first one. I hope they have another one. Um, but yeah, we partied on Bourbon Street and then we took like a cruise down to uh, Mexico and uh jamaica it it was a good time it was so when the whole cruise is that when we're at sea you can game so we had this whole area it was basically a bar all to ourselves had our own bartenders and stuff 
and we were just in this bar just gaming you know whenever you wanted to and it was just like a convention but on the water so gotcha <laughs> yeah it was a great time now you said there were a hundred of you. Were, you. were you guys like sharing the ship with other people or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ship was filled with other people and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's one of those huge, uh, huge ships that they had. But yeah, um, yeah. And some of the, like my wife doesn't game. So she went off and did other things, you know, during the whole time. And then when I'm done gaming, I go, where you at? Okay, let's go get some sun, you know, <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that. Man, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was a good I, time. I, <laughs> Ooh, I have to see if I can see if I can swing that. Yeah, I hope if they, they do. If it. They do it again. Yeah, they should be doing. It. I don't know if they're going to do it next year, but the, maybe the next year after because it is kind of it's still a cruise, so it's a little pricey. But uh, yeah, it's still a great time. It's mm. still a great time. Gotcha. Um, well, aside from let's say aside from your your setting that you created the uh, the trailer park shark attack which yeah. we'll get to here in just a little bit <laughs> yeah. what would you say is is your favorite kind of setting to run a savage worlds game in um i tend towards which i never really noticed until my buddy uh, eric um pointed out i tend to like uh modern settings um i i really like deadlands i mean i'm mm-hmm. really a big fan of deadlands I have all the books and all the boxes from the original Deadlands, all the box sets and everything. I have everything from the original Deadlands. Um, so I just really like that that world setting with the zombies and the and the western. Um, it depends on what my what I'm into at that time. Um, I really like the old west. My doghouse guys. We have a a setting. It's a full western town. It's called uh, Fort Griffin, which Fort Griffin was a real place in Texas. And they took some of the historical um, uh, places from there, and they fleshed them out to to real you know places that you can game in. So they made a whole establishment, and uh, I was running a game of that recently. A lot of fun. Um, I tend to like um, a lot of modern settings. Yeah, just just Deadlands, Western. Um, Wise Guys is a great setting, which is mob based. We're we're running a game of that before this whole coronavirus thing. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm just all over the board. I really like a lot of modern settings, not so much fantasy because I've been kind of been there, done that type thing. That's the only reason. Gotcha. Yeah. My main question about mm-hmm. Savage Worlds just as a, as a broad setting, I, I see the appeal of Savage Worlds when it comes to running, uh, modern games, pulpy kind of games, right. Uh, you know, Western and then even uh, even superhero stuff. Right. But when it comes to fantasy, mm-hmm. um, how, how do you feel even, you know, not really playing a lot of fantasy games with Savage Worlds? How do, how do you feel that fantasy? Uh, how do you feel that Savage Worlds fantasy offerings stack up against not necessarily the big competition, right. but other other fantasy competition out there? I mean, you can do it. Um you definitely can do it. And I actually, I don't really care for fantasy, but I actually have two groups at home. One we're playing wise guys. And the other one is actually a fantasy, a savage world's fantasy game, um, Mm -hmm. that I'm running for these, these, they're kind of new players and they want to experience that. And they chose fantasy. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So it's cool seeing it through their eyes, you know, because they're experiencing all this new cool stuff, um, that I've played through many times, all the tropes and stuff of fantasy. But yeah, I think uh, you definitely can do it. It will. It does take some work because of everybody comes in 
when you're playing fantasy, you immediately think of D&D or Pathfinder. So everybody's coming in with those kinds of mentalities. Um, and Savage Worlds is just a different game engine, you know? So mm-hmm. it's a little different. But my players, I, I tend to see that they're really digging it. They really like it. I think um, during this this whole virus, one of them actually, oh, actually a couple of them actually played online uh, and used D&D 5e. And they've they've been playing Savage Worlds fantasy. And um, they were like, yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit more than I thought it would be. I'm like, yeah, it's not... <laughs> It's, there's a lot of stuff that comes with D and D, you know, with, uh, I, I guess it was the, I don't know what their whole problem was, but, uh, they just, they seemed like they preferred Savage Worlds, the fantasy version of, you know, of, of a D and D type game. Um, that said, I did, I have played 5e and I really like it. I, for, for a version of Dungeons Dragons, it's really cool. It brought me back to like my childhood days. I was like, if I was running D and D, this would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is really cool. But yeah, I think it stacks up good. Uh, there is some work, um, but I think Pinnacle is working on. Well, I don't think I know they are working on um, some companions for Savage Worlds, and they have an old fantasy companion for the old edition, and they're working on a newer one, an updated one. So maybe they'll hit some issues like that. You know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. What they didn't realize before, they maybe they had some issues that uh, that'll address some things. You know that D and D has that Savage Worlds is not like the same. You know. Now I just realized I and I told the story to Shane mm-hmm. about the first time that the first and only time that I tried to run Deadlands Classic. Mm, yeah. Um, and so I, I suppose I have to tell you the story as well. Since <laughs> this is such a Savage Worlds heavy episode. Um, and it's been a while since I brought up this incident on the podcast, but there, there's a legendary incident that occurred amongst my gaming group yeah. that's known as the Deadlands incident. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so I'm just going to go into this. And then at the end, if you can tell me where I went wrong from, from your point of view, because yeah. I have my own ideas about where I went wrong. Yeah. Uh, just, just let me know. But I yeah. <laughs> started this game with uh, the intention of running it for about uh, six or seven players. I thought that would be about as many as were interested. Okay. But then, you know, I, I kind of ran it by some people. Hey, I want to try this new setting. It's going to be a Western game. You know, are, are you guys interested? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they agreed and it got out to the whole group, which at that time was about nine people. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that Ryan's going to run a Western game. Yeah. And so, of course, everyone's like, a Western game? All right. Yeah, I'll give it a try. <laughs> and then uh, at that point, I had a friend who also wanted to come in and I was like, well, I'm running a Western one shot. And he goes, that sounds awesome. And I was like, okay, I guess you can... <laughs> You can join in, too. And then uh, one of my regular players also brought uh, – now, I don't, I don't think she was his girlfriend at the time, but a, a female friend who was kind of new to the hobby okay. of RPGs. And so we had a character creation night. I made them all watch Tombstone. Oh, nice. <laughs> because that is my – that's my also 1A or 1B favorite movie. Nice. Along with Sin City is Tombstone. Nice. And so I made them all watch Tombstone, and then the the next time we got together, I ran the game for them. The setup for the game yeah. 
They were on the trail starting in Dodge City, Kansas of John Wesley Hardin. Oh, wow. That's cool. One of the most... One of the most infamous outlaws in the Old West killed probably 13 men. Yeah. Uh, one allegedly for snoring. <laughs> and they were basically following him through his last days, culminating in a gunfight on the train in which he died in real life. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the hook of the game was that he had stolen Wild Bill's Colt Navies, which in Deadlands lore are uh, artifact yep. weapons. Yeah. So I was completely jazzed about this. They were going to encounter Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday uh, just just in Dodge City. Right. Then they were going to get on the train. It was all going to be cool. Here's the problem. They didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a big problem. <laughs> I started the game by saying it's, I think, it, 1875, uh-huh. I think, was right around the time. I, I tried to be super accurate with it. And I said, you were on the trail of the legendary outlaw John Wesley Hardin. And they all went, who? (laughs) And I was like, I didn't make this guy. This is a real person. We've never heard of him. Did Val Kilmer play him in that movie? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. No, that was Doc Holliday. Whatever. And so from from go, they were not interested in the story, which Shane told me, you have to start with zombies. For people like us, it's cool to have John Wesley Harden, but for them, you, you need monsters. Mm-hmm. But we get in there, and I'm having them all, instead of you meet in a tavern, you meet in a saloon. Yeah. One of my players had taken the hindrance of being a wanted criminal, and another player was a bounty hunter. And so as soon as he found out that that guy had a bounty oh on boy. him, it turned into immediate PvP. Ugh. And it turned into the worst kind of immediate PvP, the kind where one of the players, the the aggressor, was doing everything they could to take down the other person, escalating oh, constantly, man. but continuously failing their role. <sighs> and so it drug on and on and on. It took about a half hour. Oh my gosh. Just to get those two on the same page. Right. And then for the rest of the night, uh, the the rest of my attempt to run Deadlands, uh, the the player who had initiated the PvP, he uh, he was also the one who brought a female friend who was not at all into not even the story, but not even like the gameplay. Right, right. To the point where I didn't even know, like, what, like, I almost asked, why are you here? (laughs) But that would be rude. Yeah. (laughs) But they were taking their bennies and they were, like, flipping them up in the air, but they couldn't catch them, so they landed under the couch. Oh, nice. (laughs) And so they lost a bunch of my poker chips. Oh, (laughs) Oh, man. So, in all of that, uh, (laughs) Carl, where do you think I went Oh, wow. Well, it's I really like the the premise, you know, John Wesley Harden. Um, I actually put historical people in my games, in my Deadlands mm-hmm. games. Uh, Jim Miller, Jim Killer Miller, awesome guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome bad guy, I should say. Had him in one of my games. I didn't. I told them who it was. They had no idea. And I knew they weren't going to know. So mm-hmm. I just made him the the greatest, the coolest bad guy I could, you know. First thing, nine players, that is a lot. That is yeah. really a lot. I've yeah. in my whole experience of running convention games and even home games, um, my home games, 
I go up to six, and that's max for me. Mm-hmm. Um, convention games. I've only run one game with nine players. And the only reason why I did it was because, um, as I mentioned earlier, the Rocky Mountain Savages, Chris Fox was at my table. He knows the rules inside and out, like the back of his hand. So he was at the other end of the table. I was over at my end, and he's like, hey, can I jump in? I'm like, yeah, man, but there's going to be nine. You're going to be nine players. Can you help me out just a little bit? And he was like, yeah. He, it was like having a co-GM. That's the only way I would do like nine players if somebody like a Chris Fox was at that other end that knew the rules and would knows how to advance a story along and stuff like that. Um, so I think nine players, they, they might have got a little uh, antsy, especially during the PvP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's the other that brings me up to the other thing. Um, a lot, pretty much all my games these days, we always have, I don't know who coined the phrase, but it's out there, Session Zero, where we all sit around. Not, not only do we just make characters, but we decide who we are. Like, what is this group? Are, are we going to, you guys have to be together, all right? As, as players, you know, we are all playing a game. We're all going to be at this table. But as characters, figure out a group of characters that, would want to gel together that one want to fight together, um, not fight each other, <laughs> you know, like, like your instance. Um, I had a buddy tell me a horror story the same way. He played a star Wars game and I forget what the premise. I think someone was playing a bounty hunter and the other guy was wanted. I think it was the same thing. And mm-hmm. it just evolved into this big PVP battle, but yeah, a, a great session one can go a long ways. Like my last deadlands game, I stole the idea from a couple sources. There's a podcast out there called Sounds Like Crows. It's a Deadlands podcast. I stole an idea from them, and it's basically they kind of stole it from Sons of Katie Elder, where um, their mother has died, so the player's mother has died, and you all are playing characters that are siblings of some sort, and you're coming home to to deal with her funeral. So Mm -hmm. that was the premise of that game. There might be fistfights, there might be, you know, things like that, but nobody's going to want to kill each other, you know, because they're siblings and everybody was kind of on the same playing field. So that, that game actually started out, it, it went really well because of the premise of the beginning of the session zero, that we're all in this together. But yeah, the other thing is um, John Wesley Harding, awesome bad guy, but I totally would make, uh, like Shane said, he he's on he's on my... Radar there. I definitely would throw some zombies at everybody right at the beginning of the game and have them all uh, mm. kind of like uh, have friendship in, in in the fire, you know, kind of like, uh, oh, we're, oh, shit, we're, we're fighting zombies now. So I guess we're going to have to work together, you know, <laughs> you know? Mm. like right off the bat. I would have had zombies attack that train, blah, 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 you know, first right off the mm. bat, like before even started. You guys in the intro, zombies are coming through the windows <laughs> or something, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> get them all on the same uh, ground there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. But I like that idea, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Someday I will revisit it. Some Once uh, Weird West comes out, I will put together some kind of, if not a full-blown campaign, at least a few sessions right. to fully flesh out that story and, uh, you know, see if I can get some players to actually go along with it. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing. They might not have been in the right headspace to play a Western, even though they said they would have. They get yeah. there and it's like, eh, I don't know, Westerns, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, it's it's a genre that, well, for one thing, has kind of fall, actually very much fallen out of vogue. Right. And for another thing, there's so many different conceptions of what a Western actually is. Right. And so if you have in mind that you're going to play Pale Rider or the outlaw Josie Wales, but someone else wants to play Mavericks, uh, right. you're going to be in for an interesting night. Yeah, yeah. And... Not to speak badly about a lot of westerns that's been coming out, but they're all like just really just uh, grim and dark. <laughs> just, <laughs> ugh, <laughs> you know, some of the older westerns. Uh, I mean, even Tombstone. That's a that's a great movie. You know, that's a it's exciting. It's not grim and dark. Sure, there's a story that's that's behind it, but all the westerns now are just like, oof. what was that one with Christian Bale? Hostiles that came out. It was kind of mm-hmm. really dark and. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, as we're kind of getting to the end of Mm -hmm. our time here, uh, I do want to circle back around to uh, the the amazingly (laughs) named Trailer Park Shark Attack. You've mentioned kind of where the inspiration came from. Uh, If I were to quickly at my table pitch this game to my players, uh, how would you recommend I do that? All right. I would say a quick pitch that it's like Sharknado, where you get to you randomly pick a character. There is a stack of twenty-four characters. Your trailer park has flooded. You pick one at random. You play it. If he dies, you pick another character and jump right into the action because the trailer park's flooded. There's people floating around everywhere. Find out why the trailer park is flooded. Find out uh, and kill the big bad. So it's it's that's what I would say to your players. I mean, it's just it's. Mm-hmm. It's craziness. It's fun. Um, you can go way over the top with it. It's not meant to be serious. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a five-headed shark in that game. So <laughs> it can be, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, with you being a lifelong Floridian, uh, you, you've probably heard the jokes and the stereotypes over and over again. But I do have to ask, yeah. is this largely inspired by being a lifelong Floridian? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And actually... Uh, if, uh, I actually grew up in a trailer park uh, when I was a little baby, so it comes from a great experience, uh, especially Central Florida area. It's very rural there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of these people, uh, Miss Kendrick, actually, the, my, my ever NPC that I always play, is a very much version of someone that I've known <laughs> from living <laughs> in Central Florida. <laughs> so You see... Uh- what a lot of people don't realize, everyone, <laughs> people who don't go to Florida very often or only go for vacation think that Florida is in its entirety uh, maybe Jacksonville, <laughs> definitely Orlando, yes. and then Miami or yeah. Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, you know, the the big cities. Right. They don't realize Florida is a big place and there's lots of places in between those places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of country in Florida, and I, I grew up in. Uh, I know you can't tell about my, my accent, but I did grow up in the country, up in Central Florida. So. <laughs> Absolutely, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things that happen in Florida. Some yeah. exaggerated, a lot not. Yeah, the Florida man is a meme for a reason. <laughs> yep, yep. And if you've always wanted to get inside the head of Florida man. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> With Trailer Park Shark Attack. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Florida men and women <laughs> in Trailer Park Shark Attack. We got all kinds of crazy characters. Uh, so what it is, it is a funnel. That's where I got the idea from. Um, I actually, at Gen Con one year, um, James Walls play, uh, ran a Star Wars funnel 
using DCC, and we all played uh, First Order Troopers, and, and he was playing Kylo Ren, but it was the Kylo Ren from the Saturday Night Live version where it was very ratty <laughs> and just running around killing us. <laughs> And so we had a stack of, of player, you know, characters. And when he did kill us, we just pulled another one. It was it was a great time. So the Genesis kind of came from that. And um, my buddy Todd Evans and I, we um, I created a game called um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, 1970s version. And so the very last scene was a trailer park. And I had these plastic trailer park um, models that I had. And I'm like, how can I use these? And he went on to be to make another game, and I was like, "Well, I, I like a, tr- I like these shark movies. Maybe if the trailer park shut flooded, and you know, let's figure that out." So that's kind of the genesis of that. So one game became another game, kind of thing. So <laughs> actually, two <Yeah>. games. <laughs> so so you you made a a like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen game. I made multiple uh, multiple versions of that. I've I've started. Jeez, I started. Um, uh, the 90s or was it the 90s yeah it was the 1990s so that was a zombie theme game so I had like mm-hmm. uh, Cherry Darlin from Planet Terror um, uh, Tallahassee from and uh, I forget the other characters names it's been so long ago but it was all these zombie fighters in this game all from movies and stuff like that and I just statted them up with Savage Worlds and here's who you're playing zombies let's let's go and have fun mm-hmm. so I did the 90s I did the 2000s which was a vampire themed I did the uh, the 80s, which was a lot of fun. Um, that was a kind of a time-traveling thing. So you can play B.A. Baracus and Doc Brown and uh, Teen Wolf all fighting against Lopan. <laughs> <laughs> he stole the Time Bandits map and was messing with time like Lopan does. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Okay, so I just have to ask yeah. you, Carl. Yeah. Are you my id? <laughs> it sounds like you're my id. Yeah, we. Uh, you mentioned those two movies. I'm like, oh, they we're pretty similar in the same line here. <laughs> and I did a 70s version. Uh, was the last one I did was 1970s version, and it was a Southern League. So you had like uh, Daisy Duke and um, oh gosh, who else? Evil Can Evil was in it. Uh, mm-hmm. The Bandit was in it, and it was a big, it was a big car chase. You know, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, it was a big car chase and stuff like that. Boss Hog was after you, so. <laughs> So it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm working on a 60s version, so we'll see how that goes. I, it's been in my mind for a, while, a long time, but uh, but yeah, I've I've done those. So <laughs> it, is the 60s version perhaps espionage themed? It might be. I'm thinking of a more comedic route with it. So I'm thinking oh. of more Austin Powers and Herman Munster uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, meets whoever. I'm not. I'm not even sure yet. So I've I've got some ideas. I'm still brewing mm-hmm. that idea. So. <laughs> Because, I mean, for 60s, if you wanted to do, like, a semi-serious espionage, you could do James Bond yeah. and uh, uh, Jim Phelps yep. and uh, Steed and, yeah. you know, have, yeah. For sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of good ideas. Man from Uncle could even, you know, M appeal and all that stuff. Gotcha. Well, Carl, uh, unfortunately, we have kind of reached the end of our, our time okay. here. Uh, so for the rest of rest of our time here anything that you want to promote anything you've got coming up um social media all that stuff oh man <laughs> uh, the floor is yours oh thanks uh i got a lot of stuff coming up a lot of stuff i'm doing um i'm on the wild eye podcast so they uh eric and uh 
Gary invited me on there. So I've been doing that. Um, we've been recording episodes weekly. So we've been doing that. That's mainly Savage Worlds, just Savage Worlds podcast. Doghouse Rules, my company, we've, um, during this whole coronavirus thing where everybody's stuck in, we have actually taken Trailer Park Shark Attack, and which is a product from Doghouse Rules. And I've taken all the art and I made it fully VTT with no backgrounds. So you can actually plug it in your Roll20 and you can take trailer parks and just throw them on the board with the with the flood water and, and and fully use that. So that's fully now VTT oriented. And we came out a new product for them for 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 Trailer Park Shark Attack. It's uh, shark tokens, and they're free right now. There's like ten shark tokens, so you can see what a top view of a sharktopus or a five-headed shark looks like. Uh, that's all in there. So that's free right now. And um, Deadlands. Deadlands is coming out. I did some freelance work for them for Deadlands for Pinnacle. So I hope everybody checks that out. Well, guys, uh, this has been a fantastic episode. Carl, thank you again for uh, for agreeing to come on here. This has been a blast. Yeah. It turns out we have very similar interests. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you some PDFs. <laughs> I appreciate I you having gr- me, man. Yeah, I will greatly appreciate reading over those pdfs and having to tell my friends that no unfortunately i didn't come up with this (laughs) well guys that is going to do it for today's episode next week uh this is one that i've been waiting for for a while uh we're bringing on the man who did my theme music uh john page he and his brother are going to be talking about their upcoming rpg project project full blade uh, there's there's all kinds of cool stuff to be talking about there, uh, so I'm I'm very excited to have them on the show. Uh, but until then, whether you rolled a one or a twenty, I am so unbelievably grateful that you decided to roll your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>